Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello. Happy Wednesday. Yay. We're recording on a Wednesday. Thanks for your patience. I mean, it feels, it felt like a Thursday today for several reasons. I was confused on what day it was for a while this morning. Well, I was talking to a lady and I said something about um, tomorrow. She was going to go get her fingernails done, which Melissa and I never do. Nope. And I, anyway, I, I commented about it being Friday and she said, tomorrow is not Friday, it's Thursday. So... I was all messed up too, but back to reality, it is Wednesday, yep. and it's a pretty Wednesday where we're at, I think. Yep. So, sun's shining, and grass and needs cutting. They're all, yeah. That's <laughs> I gotta do that tonight. <laughs> I, I didn't realize there's a lot of forest fires, you know, wildfires out west of the United States. Yeah, now the smoke has made its way. Yeah. You can actually see it over here on our side. I heard about yeah. that. So, it's, Always sad when you hear about fires. But anyway, today we're actually going to go to talk about a story from what, London? London. Okay. And last week we talked about the Loomis robbery and it was all about money and yes. no murder. And today is back to murder. Yes. <laughs> money, money, money last week. Yeah, that was enjoyable. I enjoyed talking about that one. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you haven't, go back and check it out. But today we're going to visit London during the 1900s. So, this was like a very dark time in um, Great Britain's history. You've got massive violent outbreaks and crime. I mean, it's just all over the place anyway. Um, you got Jack the Ripper who was terrorizing the streets and people were, you know, worried about going out after dark. Um, the country was on the brink of war. Uh, many Europeans were flocking to Britain to seek refuge because they had an open door policy where anyone could come in. So, a lot of immigrants were coming in to relocate. And a lot of them, you know, they cross borders with, you know, guns and weapons and drugs and, and, you know, their traditions they brought into Britain. So crime was already everywhere and it's just really hard to keep it under control. So it's just kind of a, a dark time. Yes. And then you have, you know, it was a particularly difficult time for women. Um, you know, we couldn't vote. They, you know, there were no political rights. They were looked down among society, couldn't work. Um, women's suffrage movement had started, but it, you know, hasn't gotten anywhere yet at this time. Uh, so for a lot of women, the way to ensure that they would be taken care of was to, to marry, to make sure they were married to a good family. Um, so there's enormous amount of pressure for girls to marry before they get too old and their chances, you know, dwindle down, um, to find someone suitable. So, and at the same time, if a woman had money of her own and she did marry, then it practically became the husband's property because, that's just how things, wow. that society was, you know, running. So it made a perfect environment for, you know, men of ill intentions to seek out vulnerable young women who were just desperate to find someone to take care of them. So it was a, just an awkward situation. And so one of those women, her name was Margaret Lofty. So she's 38 years old. It's 1914. And I mean, that's, by that standard, yeah. it was really old to, to not be married. That's right. Back then, um, especially. Nowadays, not so much. But So, she's an older woman, and, you know, she had lost hope of marriage. But then she meets this man named John Lloyd. And he's older, he's sophisticated, and appears to be wealthy. So, that's a nice little combination there. 
Um, she keeps the relationship a secret from her family until she gets married. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I don't know if they would try to, I guess, persuade her out of it or if she, you think they would be happy that she had found someone to. Or to that might be a clue to the fact that why she wasn't married because of her family. Yeah. Um, so, but the marriage, it only lasted one day. Oh. So the morning after the wedding, Margaret was found in her bathtub. She drowned while taking a bath and was discovered by her new husband, John. So it was ruled an accident and everyone kind of moved on. Um, but once it hit the papers and the story ran through, it caused a little bit of concern and it was brought to the attention of Inspector Arthur Neal at Kennishtown Police Station. So you have Arthur Neal of Scotland Yard. He eventually stumbles upon Margaret's file on his desk. And, you know, at the same time, so you've got August 4th, 1914, Great Britain officially declares war on Germany. And so the workload of cases, they're, you know, they're piling up. It's really not the best time to investigate, you know, very complex cases. They have other things to worry about. Um, but a note from a concerned citizen made it to his desk, and it contained a few articles clipped from recent newspapers. And all of the stories were the same. It was about a bride who drowned in her bathtub shortly after being married. And they were just oddly similar that it just, it would appear London may have a serial killer on their hands. That would definitely be something to take note of. And yeah. to so that kind on. of made its way up on the priority list a little bit. Um, but it also seemed impossible to track down someone who's using, you know, got fake names. They're in the middle of fighting a war. Their manpower's yeah. slack because they're going off to, to help, you know, the government. And so he needs help. So they brought in Bernard Spilsbury. Ooh. And this guy, he was, like, really good at his job, and he was often referred to as Sherlock Holmes, like a real-life Sherlock Holmes. Um, he helps Inspector Arthur Neal and his department by bringing in methods now known as forensic science to help solve the bathtub mystery. How neat. And so this was um, a really turning point for crime solving and how things were done to prove um, crimes had taken place. So Margaret's death appeared to be an unfortunate accident at first. But the landlord also contacted authorities with information that pointed suspicion at the new husband, John Lloyd, which we all know when something happens, usually yes. spouses are always number one anyway. Right. Um, so Arthur Neal um, and the persistence of his team were determined to get to the bottom of what happened. So, you know, he was a really good detective and he actually is one of the big four. Um, he was one of the, main ones that would run the criminal investigation department for Scotland Yard. So he was really good at his job. And the letter that happened to come across Neil's desk that brought it to his attention wasn't just from like a random person who noticed the articles were the same. It was a father oh, okay. whose daughter was also drowned in a bathtub. So it was one of the deaths. Right. Okay. And so um, his daughter, Alice had quickly married a man Against the family's wishes. Okay. And then soon after, she was found in her bathtub on her honeymoon from what appeared to be an accidental drowning. And then once the papers ran the article on Margaret's death, he noticed the similar things that happened to his daughter. So he wanted to bring uh, the attention to the authorities. And so knowing that the cases were linked together, Arthur Neal began to seek out who was responsible for these murders. They were almost exactly one year apart. So he started with the first case in the coastal town of South Sea. So this is where he looks into the death of Alice Burham. So her father was the one who sent the letter. She was only 25. 
and she had formerly trained as a nurse. So in 1913, she was caring for an older gentleman in the town of South Sea. So she's okay. working, she's got a good job, and she meets this man. Huh. This was an older gentleman who just happened to be single, handsome, and wealthy. Wow, that sounds kind of <laughs> perfect. Yes. <laughs> Beware. If and it seems similar. Too good to be true, it's probably not. Yeah. Um, so one month after she meets him, they're engaged. And then her father was less than happy with this news, and he did not want her to get married. So it was against the family's wishes, but they did it anyway. So they were married on November 4th, 1913, in like a... Um, civil ceremony in the clerical office okay. like it wasn't a, a huge wedding um but six weeks later they were on a delayed honeymoon you know work reasons or something for some reason they delayed it which is a common thing now um they were on their honeymoon and her husband george joseph smith found her dead in the bathtub from an apparent drowning okay yeah that's definitely similar so i mean how many baths did she obviously take before that <laughs> and I, by I'm the time a, you're 25, you're an expert bath taker. Well, I, I'm a bath person. You're not. No, I do take showers. Yes, so I do clean myself. <laughs> not saying that I you know. don't. I just but don't I, enjoy sitting in a bathtub. I'm a bath person. Um, yes, I've I fallen asleep in the tub before. It's not hard to do, but I would imagine if you fall asleep and you would fall under, that would wake you up. But maybe I need to I be would more think careful. So. I um, would. <laughs> I don't want to be sitting here talking about, you know, yeah. <laughs> You're like, where was Melissa today? Guess what? <laughs> I wouldn't, I, I don't know how to work all this stuff, so I wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> you would find somebody else, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway. So she had um, died in the bathtub, similar? Yes. So, okay. But, so then, they, you know, who exactly was George Joseph Smith? So that was her husband. So let's start with him. You know, but could he also be John Lloyd? So That's are we looking thinking. at one person or are we looking at two people? So they look into the background of George Joseph Smith and they find out that he has used different aliases and he has multiple marriages. Like he's obviously not the, the best guy in the world. Um, he was like a petty con man. He had his hand in various business avenues. He had a criminal record in his teens, but he also had a horrible reputation for beating women. Okay. Sounds like a just, um, ding, ding, ding. just a gentleman, right? Yeah. So, but all the authorities had to go on was a very vague description of John Lloyd. Because that had happened, you know, over a year ago. And it was very little that they knew about that case because it was ruled an accident and everyone moved on. And when you think, like, back then, of course, I always think about how hard it must have been to find people. Especially, like you said, people were moving in and out of the country. They all yeah. had kind of petty crimes. and so. It was easy to use a fake name. It was easy to obtain different identification. Yes. So, we don't know for sure um, since he had different aliases. And, and their description of John Lloyd was so vague, like, it could describe every tall person in London. Like, they really didn't oh, have gotcha. anything. I mean, it was so, like, it didn't it had nothing to really narrow it down. Like, this past year, they had a mask on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we're not going there. I know, um, <laughs> but really, I, I asked a lady the other day if she would show me her face, and to looked totally different without the mask. And so you just think about I hardly recognize like Braden's teachers and stuff because yeah. because you see them on their pictures, and you're like, oh yeah. wait, oh that's what you look like. Or and especially when it's cold, if they were wearing a toboggan or a hood or something, definitely. Um, so back then, not having any of the technology and 
Yeah, there was no facial recognition, yeah. no CCTV, no. Yeah. Well, so anyway, makes these stories a little bit more interesting. I sometimes. think it's exciting sounding than oh. just yeah. Okay. So, so the vague description of yes. John Lloyd was just like every tall man in London. Mm-hmm. So Inspector Neal teamed up with a Sergeant Harold Reed, who was already looking into the bathtub murders. So together they traveled to Bismarck Road, was the scene of the first death. Um, so they spoke with some officers that were first on the scene, and one of them even mentioned how the bath water was still warm. Oh, wow. Like, yeah. Because mm. bath water does not stay warm long. No. Mm-mm. Does not. John, he had taken his new bride to the doctor the day before she died um, because she was suffering a severe headache. So when the doctor was questioned, he told police how Lloyd was the one doing all the talking. So uh, they found that rather odd. Okay. Um, so they put a memo out of the country looking for both John Lloyd and George Joseph Smith, still unsure if it was one person or two people, and then they get a break. So they learned that one week before Margaret died, she had purchased a life insurance policy for 700 pounds, which back then was a sizable amount of money. And her widowed husband's lawyer was in the process of trying to claim it. Oh, okay. So it had been uh, been a while now someone's trying to claim the insurance money. So when they looked into the policy, the authorities learned that Margaret lied to purchase it. So she declared that she had her own means to pay for it, and she had no intention of getting married anytime soon. I mean, that was, like, just a week before she got married. So, obviously, they think John Lloyd was behind all of it and put her up to to it. Yes. And so, it was believed that he intended to collect upon her death one week later. So, the theory is that the the police have was that he took her to the doctor to establish that she had a history of headaches or fits. Like, oh, hey, well, she's been to the doctor before. Okay. And then take the life insurance policy out and then... She's found dead after an apparent seizure, which caused her to drown in the tub, or a headache, or a fit, or whatever they wanted to call it. That was, but that, I mean, wait a little while. That's just so quick, <laughs> like a week later. It just don't make sense, these people. But so, when it came time to collect on the latest victim's insurance policy, so Mr. George Joseph Smith shows up at the office to find Inspector Arthur Neal waiting for him. So they, then it's time for him to answer the question. So, the inspector suspected there were more victims of this elaborate scam and decided to look into his finances. So when they did, they found out one month before Alice took out a life insurance policy, Mr. Smith also bought a high-dollar annuity from the same office in the amount of 1,300 pounds, okay. which was a larger sum of money. Yes. And so he didn't have a job, so where did the money come from that he got to buy the annuity? So then they were thinking maybe it was another insurance payout from someone else. Yeah, a year earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after all this the police work, they determined that the late husband of both Alice and Margaret was, in fact, George Joseph Smith. So that was his real name. Okay. So that was a legal name. Um, he did go by many others. He had many other marriages as well. And he seems to disappear once he had their money. Like, I think he had eight or nine total. Wow. Um, but so he was in custody and clearly guilty of, you know, bigotry, insurance fraud, other stuff they could hold him on. And then now they needed to prove that he was a murderer as well. So now they start trying to build their case. So did they go back and look at the other wives? Had any of them? Okay. Well, see both Alice and Margaret, they didn't have any signs of a struggle. There was no sign of poison. They were just drowned in the bathtub. 
Okay. Um, so it's not like he, you know, strangled them and held them down or right. or anything like that. They were just completely just looked like they had just fallen asleep. Okay. So how did he do it? You know, what happened to his other wife? So they did. Uh, they looked yeah. at all the other ones. So in the research of all the marriages, they find Bessie Mundy. So in 1910, she was 33 years old. She's also older uh-huh. at this point. Okay. So she, she met a Londoner who went by the name of Henry Williams. And he was a paint restorer, like a um, restored old paintings. And he was well-traveled, sophisticated, and again, wealthy. There's that combination. And so she was soon caught up in this whirlwind romance that resulted in a quick marriage um, after. And so Bessie's father was a manager at a bank. So he had left her... Um, 2,500 pounds, but it was in a trust. Okay. And it was taken care of by her uncle, and it was only payable upon death. A lot of people don't understand that. So it was her money to be taking care of her estate. So it only came payable if... It was no good if she was alive. Oh, okay. It was payable upon death. Okay. Um, A lot of people do that for... uh, That's just... Yeah. It's common for, like, um, kids who may misuse the money if something right. were to happen and right, like it's right, supposed yeah. to go to the, her estate any bills that her estate have attained or to take care of her house or whatever okay um she couldn't just have it to you know, go have fun exactly um so it was payable upon her death and then shortly after the marriage she signed the beneficiary over beneficiary over to henry okay. her husband and then after that she found herself in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> that money had to be laundered. Yeah, the money had to go somewhere. Green. So at this point, they bring in um, a pathologist. And this is, um, so he requests that all the tubs that the women were found in be brought to London. And so they're all gathered up and they're sent to this, this lab for tests. And his name was um, Bernard Spilsbury. So he was well-respected and often referred to, like we said, Sherlock Holmes. Um, he needed to help Arthur Neal and Harold Reed determine that George was responsible for murder and he wasn't just a con man. So they actually exhumed all three women. Okay. But um, forensic science, science is definitely, this is a new thing and not much could be determined. Decomposition had already took over. We hadn't got well equipped of you know preserving right. um, bodies and such. So they really couldn't tell anything from, from there. And so they were kind of at a loss. But... Um, Spilsbury remembered an old event that took place. So he remembered there was a shipwreck in 1841. Wow. And when the captain's body washed on shore the next morning, he had been drowned. He died of drowning. But he was still gripping, like, two bags. He still had stuff in his hands. And, um, you know, if you're drowning and you're struggling, you're going to let that stuff go. So it was determined that the shock of going under the water rendered him unconscious so quick, like he didn't have time to let go of what he had in his hand. And so there's a term for this. It's called um, inhibition. And so it was brought to the attention that Miss Mundy still had a bar of soap in her hands when the medical inspector arrived. And so there were no signs of a struggle and she's still holding on to something. And so that was their theory was he caused that to happen. But then they had to prove that he caused it to happen. Because if she had just relaxingly went to sleep, she would have probably not been... You yeah. wouldn't have been holding we on anything. stuff, yeah. Um, so then they continued to do experiments. So Inspector Neal, he, you know, he collected everything that he could against Mr. Smith. So he had photos, letters, death certificates, marriage licenses, 
all the records of the other names he used, anything that he could use. I think they had 250 exhibits of, of evidence. Um, and they were getting ready to go to trial. And so we'll pick back up in just a moment. Okay, so we are back. And now, so they have uh, George Joseph Smith in custody. They're building their case and they're ready to go to trial. So the trial, it, it drew big crowds. Of course, always with something like that, people yeah. want to go and watch. Plus, it was a distraction from the ongoing war and you know stuff that was going on. So they packed the courthouse. And um, Smith actually had a really good defense lawyer. It was Edward Marshall Hall. And he was um, known for be being very dramatic and theatrical and like um, good with the words and you know making juries kind of sway his way. So, per English law, I don't know why they said, but Smith was only on trial for the death of Bessie Mundy. Okay. And that was the oldest one that they had found. Yeah. Okay. So, he was only on trial for her murder. Okay. Um, but the prosecution was allowed to use evidence in the death of Alice and Margaret in court to prove he was a serial offender. Okay. Um, sometimes it, it depends on the judge and the, and the rules on what they allow and what they won't allow. Sometimes you can't bring up somebody's past when you're trying to get them for something now. But I guess everything was in line that they said they could let the jury hear about his the other cases. Well, and two, they wouldn't have known about Bessie if it hadn't it been for the other two. two. Yeah. Um, so on January 28, 1915, this was day six of the trial. This is when... Um, Bernard Spilsbury takes the stand. So he's getting cross-referenced by this um, Marshall Hall. And so during the trial, the uh, prosecution, you know, told the jury that if you pull someone's legs up but force their head underwater, like, really, really quickly, the victim would immediately lose consciousness and drown. Hmm. And so that was their theory because bathtubs were shorter back then and you couldn't, couldn't lay flat. I mean, I can't even lay flat the one I have now. So they were, that was the only way they could drown and not have any sign of a struggle or anything. Okay. But then they proved it. So they actually had a female police officer crawl into a bathtub. Oh. And Spilsbury himself lifted her legs up and pushed her head underwater. And she had to be immediately revived by medical staff. Wow. And so she literally, he literally almost killed her right in front of the jury on the courtroom floor. That is crazy. So that's not a, this is how he did it. And I'm going to show you how he did it. <laughs> they showed it. Oh my goodness. What if that had not oh, gone well? I, yeah, I know. <laughs> he would have been on trial But yeah. it, I mean, that's a graphic demonstration and very yes. bold to do. But obviously the jury then had a firsthand account of what had happened to um, not only Bessie, but they were also hearing about this Alice and this Margaret lady. Um, so the a defense, police officer, I hope they gave her like early retirement. <laughs> okay. No, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she yeah. deserved it. She got a raise. Like, hey, God, like, her... literally got killed and you revived me, you know, for this to happen. Yeah. She literally she got a raise too. Yeah, her she... legs were ra raised. <laughs> she had some negotiating room. I, I hope so. Um, so the defense kind of had a hard time explaining that one away. Kind of hard to talk around that when they've seen it happen. Yeah. Um, but he did have a great track record, so he had these elaborate closing arguments, and he tried to stop the court from allowing the information about Alice and Margaret, you know, being brought up at trial, but of course he was unsuccessful. So with all that information, 
it kind of makes it hard to see how yeah. he didn't do it. Um, but the, the defense's argument was that, you know, she simply suffered from symptoms of epilepsy and had a fit as she was bending over to wash her hair and fell under the water. Okay. Um, which, yeah, I, c- could happen. Pro- probably has happened. Seizures yes. do happen and yes. people probably drown as a result, but three, but she had the soap clutched in her hand. Yeah. Right? She had the soap clutched so. in her hand. So she wasn't like washing her hair with a bar. So, no. uh, yeah. So, um, George Joseph Smith never took the stand himself, which is common in, in murder trials because you don't want to further incriminate yourself by having a lawyer twist, twist your words. And, right. and cause I mean, it just makes it that much worse. Um, so even though Edward Hall gave a powerful dramatic closing, it just wasn't enough to impress the jury. Um, he couldn't compete with Dr. Spilsbury nearly killing that police officer, <laughs> um, explaining how he did it. And, um, and of course they had all the financial reasons as to why that's how he got his money. And so on June 30th, 1915, it took the jury only 20 minutes to wow. find George Joseph Smith guilty of the murder of Bessie Mundy. And he was sentenced to death. And so he was executed on August 13th, 1915. Okay. Of course, now we have inmates on death row now that were sentenced, what, 30 years ago, and they're still hanging around. Mm-hmm. But so they got it done quickly back then. Um, but George Joseph Smith, he actually did have a legal first wife. Okay. Her name was Caroline Forneal, and she married George in 1898. Okay. Um, but she. I had read, like, used to steal for him, and then she got put away. And then as she was getting put away, she incriminated him, and he got put away for a little while. And eventually they had split. So there was never a formal divorce, per se. So he was legally married. So that makes all the wives after that, you know, the whole bigotry thing. Yeah. Yeah. But so the day after he was executed, she married a Canadian soldier. (laughs) Oh, wow. So she's like, I'm free from you now. Time to move on. Um, That are the bath. That is the bathtub murders. That the bride, the bride bath murders. And there's been there's a movie made about it. There's been in several books. It's it's a pretty big case um, over there in London. A little bit different. Yeah, that was a good one. So thank y'all for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was my first time. Um, hearing the details of it. <laughs> so thank you, Melissa, for preparing that for us this week. Yeah. And we'll be back next week with another story. Please find us on Facebook. You can email us at oldtimecrimegals at gmail.com. We do have a group. Um, just remember, stay safe in the bathtub if yeah, you take baths. Don't, don't fall asleep <laughs> in the tub like I do. And if you do the crime, remember it'll catch up with you in time. We'll talk about it.